This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome back. I'm Roger Stone, and this is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of AM radio. Now would be an excellent time for you to go to the App Store and download the 77 WABC radio app so you don't miss any of the amazing talk or entertainment programming here at 77 WABC. I'm thrilled today to have the opportunity to interview Bridget Gabriel. She is the founder and chairman of Act for America, but perhaps more importantly, Bridget Gabriel is a leading commentator on politics, culture, and national security. As a legal immigrant to America, born in Lebanon, she personally survived the war in the Middle East, actually living in an 8x10 underground bomb shelter from age 10 till age 17. Bridget Gabriel has uh, addressed and briefed the United Nations, the Australian Prime Minister, members of the British Parliament, specifically the House of Commons, members of the U.S. Congress, the Pentagon, the Joint Forces Staff College, the U.S. Special Operations Command, and the U.S. (laughs) Asymmetric Warfare Group, the FBI, and many, many others. Uh, Bridget Gabriel is also the New York Times bestselling author of three books, the latest being Rise, The Defense of Judeo-Christian Values and Freedom. But the book I am most impressed with is her first book, Because They Hate, A Survivor of Islamic Terror Warns the United States. Bridget Gabriel, welcome to The Roger Stone Show. Thank you, Roger. I am delighted to be with you again. Uh, I think it's very important for people to know your personal story because your your expertise uh, and your passion uh, about uh, what America and the world currently faced are based on your personal experience. So tell us, who is Bridget Gabriel? Where did you come from and what have you experienced? Wow, thank you, Roger, for the introduction and the setup. Um, it is important because a lot of people who watch me on television or hear me talk about national security, they always wonder where does this passion come from, and they do not know my background. You see, you read my first book, uh, Because They Hate. My passion comes from my own experience, born and growing up in Lebanon. Uh, what most people don't realize realize is that Lebanon used to be the only majority Christian country in the Middle East. Uh, most people, when they think of Lebanon today, they think, you know, terrorist Hezbollah controls the, the country. But the country that I was born into used to be majority Christians. We were open-minded. We were very fair. We were tolerant. We were multicultural. Uh, we prided ourselves on our multiculturalism. We had open borders. We welcomed everyone who wanted to come to our nation uh, and study and work because we had built the best economy 
economy in the Middle East. Uh, Arabs used to send their children to study in Lebanon because we had built the best universities uh, in the Middle East. They graduated and worked in our economy because we had developed the best economy in the Middle East, even though we did not have any oil. Beirut became Paris of the Middle East, the banking capital of the Middle East. That's the country in which I was born into. Unfortunately, all that began to change when we imported people, when we allowed people to come into our country that did not share our values. Uh, and what I mean by that is we opened our, our arms to accepting waves of Palestinian refugees who were expelled out of Jordan when King Hussein bulldozed 30,000 of them because they tried to overthrow him uh, out of power when he accepted them into his country. They came to Lebanon, and they put their heads together with the Muslims in Lebanon, and that's what really tipped the scale. We always had our problems with the Islamists in Lebanon, but we always had it maintained um, as long as the Christians were the majority. Once the Palestinians came in, they put their heads together with the Muslims in Lebanon and declared war on the Christians, and um, that's when my life turned upside down. Um, my 9-11 happened to me in 1975 when radical Islamic Palestinians were trying to take over our town, trying to create a base from which to shell Israel and launch attacks against Israel because I lived in South Lebanon on the border with Israel. And that's when they launched uh, bombs at the army base above my home trying to take it over. They missed the army base and 14 shells exploded in my home, bringing it down, burying me under the rubble wounded, and uh, changed my life. Um, I ended up in a hospital for two and a half months being treated for my injuries. And I remember being in the hospital, going from one surgery to another, and I would ask my father, why did they do this to us? And my father would tell me, because they consider us infidels and they want to kill us. So I learned since I was a 10-year-old little girl that I am wanted dead simply because I was born into the Christian faith and lived in a Christian town. Um, and I ended up leaving the hospital and coming back home, but my home was no longer the home I left. I ended up living in a bomb shelter underground in an 8 by 10 room without electricity, without water, and very little food. And that's where I lived for the next seven years of my life, uh, from the age of 10 till the age of 17, robbed of my youth. Uh, you write uh, in your book, Because They Hate, a survivor of Islamic terror warns America, uh, as an Arab Christian and a victim of radical Islam during the Lebanese Civil War, I refuse to stand by and let the same thing happen to my adopted country, the United States. Even after 9-11, there were those who say that we must engage our terrorist enemies, that we must address their grievances. Their grievance is our freedom of religion. Their grievance is our democratic process. Islamic religious authorities and terrorist leaders repeatedly state that they will destroy the United States and Western civilization. Unless we take them at their word and defend ourselves, they will succeed. 
I really think you sum it up right there. What I don't understand, and I'd like to hear your views on, is what part of this does the Biden administration not understand? You cannot negotiate with people who don't want peace. You can't negotiate with people who have no interest in coexistence. You cannot negotiate with people who are only interested in land or territory. Uh, the Islamic terrorists, particularly Hamas, Hezbollah, and others, have been very blunt about the fact that they seek nothing than the utter destruction of both Israel and the United States. So my question to you, Bridget, is are the folks in the Biden administration naive or are they, is it willful? Do they understand what the agenda here is for our enemies? They are naive in part. They are ignorant in part. They are willfully ignoring the facts because it benefits them. Uh, and this started with the Obama-Biden administration. I want to take it back to the Obama-Biden, when Obama was president and Biden was his vice president. As soon as Obama came to power, and we knew exactly what our enemy wants. Look, Roger, you and I have been dealing with politics, and you're way longer than me. But well, at least with me, with radical Islamic terrorism is something that I have dealt with, you know, for the last 30, 40 years. And I remember when I was in Israel reporting on world events, reporting on the news, and talking about all the attacks against Western interests. And you read that in my book, Because They Hate, where I list time and time again where our enemies have attacked the interests of the United States, where we turned a blind eye and pretended if we bury our heads in the sand, they will forget about us. We have never faced an enemy who tells us exactly what they want to do to us, how much they hate us, uh, uh, what their pl long-term plan is. I mean, Al-Qaeda attacked the Kubar Towers in 2005. Uh, I mean, in 1995. Uh, uh, they attacked the USS Cole. They attacked the World Trade Center at the first time in 1993, and then they came back and re-attacked the World Trade Center the second time in 2001, this time bringing it down. And they told us exactly in their plan what they want to do to the United States. We ignored it, and we did not believe that our enemy is capable of doing that. When Obama came to power... At that time, in 2007, our government uh, had a, launched the Holy Land Foundation trial in Dallas, Texas, where our government, it was the largest terrorism trial ever in the history of the United States, where our government handed down 108 guilty verdicts to Muslim American and Muslim American organizations who were raising money in the United States and sending it overseas to fund terrorism. Uh, the Palestinian uh, suicide bombers, etc., and terrorist organizations in the Middle East. As soon as Obama came to power, Eric Holder uh, stopped all delivering the indictments. Uh, one of the indictees were CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations. And Eric Holder, Obama's uh, attorney general, put the kibosh in handing out the indictments. And instead, we see that ISNA, the Islamic Society of uh, America, they became advisors to President Obama about foreign policy. CARE, the Council on American Islamic Islamic relations had over 300 visits to the White House under Obama and Biden, even though they were unindicted co-conspirators in the largest terrorism financing trial 
in America's history. And by the way, CARE used to be the Islamic Association for Palestine, which basically is Hamas in the United States. They changed the name. They had a meeting in Philadelphia where the FBI recorded the meetings, and they figured out that we need to come up with a name that Americans cannot suspect or link to a terrorist organization like Hamas. So we need to come up with a name, and that's how they came up with the Council on American-Islamic Relations. So right now, not only CARE worked with the Obama-Biden administration, now they are working with the Biden presidency and the Biden White House, even though they are Hamas in the United States. So our government, because of their own private interests and their uh, uh, willful blindness to the facts, the facts do not change, Roger. The facts are the facts. It's how people react to the facts. Because they do not want to accept the facts, they ignore them, and they pretend that's not true, and reality is going to come back and bite us in the tush unless we wake up in the right time to save ourselves. Uh, We seem to have learned nothing. Uh, First, the Biden administration unfreezes $6 billion in assets that flows to Iran based on some vague promise that the money will only be used for humanitarian purposes. Then we give $100 million for direct humanitarian aid for Hamas. We read today that Hamas doesn't use that for those purposes. And now the Biden administration, according to the Wall Street Journal, announces that we're going to unfreeze another $100 billion in assets for Iran. Uh, Iran uh, has nuclear capabilities. The Israelis took care of this once by bombing their reactor. There seems to be no will in this administration to either understand the existential threat that Iran poses not just to Israel, not just to the other countries in the region, but to the United States itself. Uh, Again, I ask the question, is this stupidity or is it willful? Uh, At this point, they cannot hide behind stupidity uh, because the writing is on the wall. The facts are there. We know we cannot trust Iran. Look, when Israel bombed the Iraqi nuclear reactor at that time, it was the only time that the United States condemned uh, Israel at the United Nations. And so thank God they were able to to bomb that nuclear reactor. Can you imagine what type of war we would have had when we ran into the war with Saddam Hussein? So right now, Iran is developing nuclear power. We knew that starting in in 2003, when Israel started traveling and meeting with the world leaders, telling them that Iran is developing nuclear power. The world decided to ignore Israel. In 2014-15, when the the Obama-Biden flushed Israel uh, with cash with the Iran deal, remember when when Obama gave them, you know, pallets of cash delivered to the airport in the dark of the night uh, on pallets? All that money went to fund their nuclear program as well as fund the armament and building up of Hezbollah in Lebanon, Hamas in the Palestinian territories in Gaza in particular, the Houthis in Yemen. And so when, when President Trump came to power, he suffocated Iran. Iran was on life support. I mean, if he would have been in the White House right now, meaning President Trump, Iran would be on their knees right now. They would be a 
over. But because Obama came to power, uh, Biden came to power and immediately unshackled Iran and started giving them cash again, look at the monster we are dealing with. And what people need to remember, America is the great Satan. Israel is merely the little Satan. We are the bullseye. Iran is, is, is creating a power shift in the world, partnering with Russia, with North Korea, uh, with China. They are trying to create a counterbalance to the United States, all these other countries that hate us. So right now we have the axis of evil, what I call them, the, the, the dictatorship, the bad actors of the world are trying to create a block of power to destabilize the world and serve their own interests. And that's what Iran is doing. And that's why we have to stop the White House. We have to stop our government from authorizing or sending these, sending this money. Whatever we have to do, we have one year to do it until we are able to hopefully change leadership in the White House. And that's exactly why I encourage people to go to our website, my website, actforamerica.org. Actforamerica.org. Make sure you sign up to receive our action alerts because we notify you about bills coming down in Congress. And we are working on many to immediately stop the Biden administration from continuing to funnel money to Iran. The elected officials in the White House need to hear from you. We want to be able to reach you when we need you to bombard the, the, the administration and stop them from sending that money. Go to actforamerica.org. Dot org right now, sign up to get our action alerts and take action on the many Act Now campaigns we have about this issue. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Folks, uh, if you're just tuning in, this is the Roger Stone Show here at 77 WABC. uh, And we're talking to Bridget Gabriel Uh, a leading commentator on politics and particularly national security, uh, an expert on the threat posed uh, to the United States by Islamic terrorism uh, and radicalism. Uh, And uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to meet Bridget and her husband uh, at Mar-a-Lago several weeks ago. And I can tell you, she is as lovely and as beautiful as she is brilliant and courageous. Uh, We are really honored to have you with us today. Uh, You anticipated my next question, which was uh, about Act for America. Uh, I'm beginning to see uh, the impact of what's happening in the Middle East on domestic American politics. Uh, You may not be surprised, you probably aren't, but I am surprised uh, at the extraordinary level of anti-Semitism and the extraordinary level of 
pro-Palestinian, pro-Iranian, pro-Hamas sentiment on the American campuses. It appears to me that our current college education system has been a breeding ground for disinformation uh, and, uh, let's just say it, for for anti-Semitic hate. Uh, And uh, last week, when a group of Muslim organizations came forward and said that they would suspend their support of Joe Biden, which seems to have a disproportionate amount of influence among younger and college-age voters, uh, I saw on Twitter, now known as X, that people saying, oh, this is a front organization, this was orchestrated by Roger Stone. I know nothing about it other than what I've read. But I see Joe Biden and the Democrats putting restraints on Israel, limiting Israel's ability to defend themselves, telling them what weapons they can use, telling them what targets they can choose, telling them what tactics they can utilize uh, as a sop uh, for these younger voters who seem to be surprisingly, overwhelmingly Palestinian based on a series of falsehoods. Your view? Uh, yes, they are. Look, I call our universities occupied territories. Um, and you know from reading my book, Because They Hate, uh, I have a whole chapter about how we are losing our college campuses. And my book came out in 2006, and you would think it was written yesterday. And I talk about how the Palestinians and the Arabs and the money flowing from the Middle East have been able to influence our universities using the Title VI program. The Title VI program, for those who are not familiar with it, is a a program that was instituted by our government so our students, those who wish to get involved in the CIA or in diplomacy or work for the State Department, that program was instituted at our college campuses to teach our students about foreign policy and different cultures and different governments for those who want to get into the diplomatic field to empower them so they can be an asset to our country. What happened with the oil-rich Middle East, especially with the oil in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East being flushed with oil, they started funneling millions of dollars into our universities using the Title VI program, setting up Middle East study department and social study department and political departments, appointing professors who are funded by these institutions who are anti-Israel, anti-America, to teach our students that Israel is evil, America is bad, and that Islamic world is the underdog. And as a result of this level of education, when you look today at our universities, all these students who have been graduating out of our universities for the last 20 years are today then use writers, then use shapers, then use anchors, the foreign policy makers. Uh, I mean, look at Obama with his apologetic tours touring uh, uh, the Middle East when he came to power. And so, and this was, I'm talking about students graduating back in the early 2000s. These students today are in their 40s and 50s. So for the last 20 years, today we have a totally brainwashed uh, new generation, and the universities are flushed with even more 
your money. In my book, because they hate, I discuss the millions of dollars uh, uh, donated to Georgetown, to Harvard, to Penn State, to Duke University, Columbia University, uh, etc. All these universities. So today, you are watching Palestinian students who have been imported into our country. And by the way, a lot of these students that you see marching on the streets are here on student visas. The other problem that we have is there is no cap on our universities as to how many students they can accept. They can take 5,000 students from the Middle East who are funded through private Muslim foundations who are coming to study at Harvard and Columbia and Georgetown, and the universities are taking them. So when you're seeing all these students demonstrating at the universities, they are not even American students. They are here on student visas who are studying at our universities, and they are brainwashing uh, uh, the kids, uh, you know, the American students at the university, and they come here and they immediately get involved in the Muslim Student Association, which has uh, chapters on all our college campuses, and we are seeing the results today of years and years of indoctrination. And by the way, the, the strategy worked so well on college campuses, on college campuses that they started doing it uh, to sixth graders from sixth to twelfth grade today. In all of the high schools, they are completely brainwashed about America and Israel, and it's a major problem. Uh, there's no question. It also seems to me that they're very aggressively want to indoctrinate children all the way down to the elementary school level. Yep. Ex excellent address I heard this weekend by uh, Pete Hegseth from uh, Fox uh, addressing this very question. Tell us about your new book, Rise in Defense of Judeo-Christian Values and Freedom. Well, I wrote Rise uh, in defense of Judeo-Christian values and freedom because our values are under attack. Our freedoms are under attack. And by the way, this is not a religious book at all. It's about politics. It's about our current policy. It's about how in our country people are afraid to say Merry Christmas. You go to the store to, buy, to do shopping for Christmas. People can't even tell you Merry Christmas. The reason why I wrote the book is because I wanted to inform people that the foundation of Western civilization is Judeo-Christian values. Uh, uh, this is where in our culture, you know, we, we talk about treating each other with respect. We tell our little kids, oh, Johnny, treat others the way you want to be treated. People don't realize that the, 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 even the most pr basic principles come, let's reason together, let's debate ideas and agree to disagree. All this comes from a biblical Judeo-Christian foundation. And we are losing that in our culture today. One, because we are importing people who don't share our values right here in America. All of a sudden, everybody gets offended. Everybody wears their sensitivity sleeves on their arms. The littlest thing offends them. Nobody can talk about anything. Nobody wants to debate ideas. What made us great as a nation is our ability to agree to disagree and debate ideas. So that's what I talk about in the book. I talk about how the Internet has become the new theater of war. I talk about the leftist Islamist coalition how together they are working to destroy our country. I talk about, uh, I have a chapter titled Education or Indoctrination, where I go in detail about what's happening in our education system from elementary school all the way up to graduate school. 
But what makes my book unique is at the end of every chapter, I have a section titled Rise Up and Act, where I give people three things they can do under 10 minutes that will make a difference for the country, and they can do it while sitting in their pajamas being keyboard activists. And that's how we can take back our country. So I hope people will read it because, you know, Roger, I'm all about action. That's why I created my organization, Act for America. I did not name the organization Think About America or Hope for America or Pray for America, but Act for America because we can think and hope and pray. But without action, nothing happens. And what we are doing with Act for America is mobilizing people across the nation. We have activists on the ground in 98% of U.S. counties and territories. There are 3,143 counties in the United States. We have activists on the ground in 3,075 counties. And we hope that by the end, through 2024, before the election, we will have activists on the ground in every single county in the United States. That's how we're going to take our country back. Without action and mobilization, education by itself is not sufficient. Education must be coupled with action. So people can listen to the radio. People can watch TV. People can read articles. That's all entertainment. People can go to conferences. That's entertainment. Action is when you impact policy, you impact policy on the ground as well as the halls in Congress. And that's how Act for America, my organization, has been able to pass 210 bills on the federal level and the state level to protect the country. So my book, Rise, is an extension in detail on how everybody can become mobilized and organized. And I send people to actforamerica.org to become engaged, take action on our action alert. We monitor bills coming down for a vote on the state level and the federal level. And we sent an email out to our members saying, this bill, number, whatever it is, H4775, about whatever, parental rights and education, no matter what the issue is, you need to call your elected official. We need, you need to send them an email. We already have emails prepared for them, uh, social media posts prepared for them. Uh, uh, we give them their phone numbers, even a script where they can read the script off the computer as they call their elected officials. We make it so simple that anybody, even who's got two jobs, can take action, and it takes less than a minute to take action on their iPhone or their computers. All right. Unfortunately, we have to end it there. Let me thank Bridget Gabriel of Act for America. Follow her on X. She has a very, very lively, uh, formerly Twitter, now X feed. Bridget Gabriel, thank you so much for joining us on The Roger thank Stone Show. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me with you. This is New York's talk leader, the crown jewel of talk radio. WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. 77 WABC News starts now. 56 and cloudy on this Sunday, December 10th. I'm Noam Layden. We're in the calm before the storm, sort of. A weather system moving into the tri-state this evening is going to bring punishing winds and some heavy rain, too. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blake.